Uh, welcome everybody to Wednesday night Bible study. We're in Acts uh, the Apostles. We're going to be, this is part 11, and we're actually going to be doing in chapter 13. So, before we get started, let's just open up in a word of prayer as always. Lord God, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for what uh, you're doing in our lives. We just thank you for this these passages of scripture, Lord, that not only know what the early church did, but we know how they did it, how you inspired them to do it, and how the church is supposed to be set up, and, and, and how we are supposed to respond uh, as Christians, Lord. So, Father, we just thank you for this time of study. We thank you for those that are here, those that are listening via podcast. We just thank you that uh, uh, you guide us in this study, provoke us to thought, questions, response, whatever is needed. And we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Tonight I'm just going to be dealing with Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 14. We did the first part of this last week. But what we're going to be looking at today is two sermons by Paul. And we're going to kind of slow it down a little bit and uh, uh, look at it and see what uh, uh, Paul was saying and what, you know, kind of dissect his sermon. It's kind of like you would on a uh, on any Sunday. Hopefully, as the pastor is preaching a sermon, you're looking at it and you're gleaning information. You're getting understanding and application. And so I thought we'd do that with Paul's uh sermon because what happens here is there's there's a transition in Acts. Now Paul becomes the main uh player. He becomes the main person. Uh he becomes the one that uh um uh, is now leading the church. And per our map here for those of us that are here in person, Paul's first missionary journey it's in Acts chapter thirteen and fourteen where he does his first missionary journey and so Last week he was over here, and now he's going to cross up over here and be up in here. This is his early missionary journey. We'll talk about some of the others uh, later. But this is where the early church is just starting to uh, develop. There aren't established churches up in here yet, and up over in Europe there, there's not established churches yet. There's just basically in Jerusalem and Antioch over here, and now they're starting to spread here. But again, they're home churches. They are not buildings, because Christianity is not an official religion. So, let's look at verse 14 in chapter 13 of Acts. And take note of doctrine statements. Uh, If you see one in there, if I see one, I'm going to kind of stop. Doctrine means belief statements. In other words, what we should believe and what we confess as Christians. So, Verse 14, he says, But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidia Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went to the synagogue and sat down. Just via our map, what that means is he crossed the ocean right here, and he went up to this Antioch over here. It's called Pisidia Antioch, because this area was known as Pisidia right in here, as opposed to Antioch where the second church is. So he's, he's over here. Sometimes people get that confused, but it's two different Antiochs. So he goes into the synagogue and he sits down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue official went to them saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Now this is what would happen in a synagogue. A synagogue was different than the temple. The synagogue was basically a place of teaching. And a synagogue was... Basically, a square room, sort of like this, and you would sit here, around here, like here. And then they had a little altar area that kind of resembles a Catholic church. They would have like a little railing here, and then they would have a podium right here. And then the scriptures would be in a cabinet over here. They would bring the scriptures out and open them up on a on a pulpit area. And then they would read from the Law or the Prophets in the Old Testament. And then uh, then they would talk about it. In other words, everybody would have an opportunity, if they wanted to, to say, what does this mean to you? What do you feel this, this is? That's the way they taught. So this is what's going on there. And he says, Brethren, if any of you have word of exhortation for the people, say it. Verse 16. Paul stood up, and motioning with his hands, he said, 
Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And now he goes into a sermon. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. With an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. So he's going to the Old Testament. He's going to Exodus. He's going to where the people were in bondage and slavery and and Exodus. He's going to... He's literally going to kind of, in a few verses, go through some major points in the history. Something that when we read about Stephen before he was martyred, he did sort of the same thing, preaching to the Jews. And so what we get is an outline of how to use the Old Testament, which is uh, uh, very good. By the way, what I failed to mention, uh, and I did want to bring out, in chapter 13, in verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. This is John Mark. Remember, he was introduced last week. Uh, he was uh, Barnabas's cousin. Uh, they used to meet in his mother's house. Uh, he was he's pretty much a teenager here. But he leaves. In uh, their speculation, Bible doesn't say why he leaves, some of the speculation is around the fact that they were now going to be opening up the gospel to the Gentiles. And a lot of Jews have problem with this. And so uh, quite possibly he would uh, have a problem with this and maybe he just wasn't ready for it yet. You know, because Peter also has a little bit of issue later on. You know, he's the one that originally speaks to the Gentiles, but... Next week and the week after, we're going to see where Paul and Peter actually get into a confrontation over over this. So, going back to uh, the scripture, verse 17. And God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. Now, great, you know, they were under bondage, they were under slavery. Great means they they multiplied. Because God said, I will multiply you, you know. Um, and for a period of about 40 years, he put up with him in the wilderness. This is the, this, this is the wandering in the, in the wilderness. They go to Mount Sinai, they rebel, and then they wander in the, in the desert. Actually, for about 38 and a half years. Isn't that, it's 40 years from the time they leave Israel to when they go into the promised land. But the actual wandering is about 38 and a half years. Uh, so for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness you know they're complaining and then finally he you know he, he just gets upset with them and they have to wander basically for the older generation to die off it's the younger generation goes into the promised land so uh, he judged them verse 19 and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan he distributed their land as an inheritance all of which took about 450 years. Now, this is talking about when they go into the promised land and they had to go and clear the land and drive the Canaanites out. And just a brief little thing on the Canaanites. Sometimes people will read this and say, well, if they were living there, why did God want them out? Well, if you go back from the time of Noah, uh, Canaanites had been cursed. They'd been under a curse. And Canaanites were idol worshippers, uh, they did child sacrifice. They did a lot of horrible things. They were very, very, uh, very, very, very uh, demonic type type people. They were not good people at all. So when they went into the promised land, they were told to uh, uh, to clear it all out, and then they settled it. Uh, so that's what that means there. All of which took about 450 years. Uh, and this covers actually Joshua in the period of Judges. Okay, that's verse 19. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Samuel is the first prophet. He's the last of the judges, first of the prophets. Okay, Uh, verse 21. And then they asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. You know, this is that they wanted to be like the other nations, and and they wanted a king, and so God says, okay, I'm going to give you a king. It's not going to work out, but, you know, I'm going to give you a king. So they gave him a king, and obviously he rebelled against God. 
Verse 22, And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now, here's the difference between that Saul and, and, and David. Neither one of them are perfect individuals. The only perfect individual we have is Jesus Christ. But the people that God has used, Saul didn't inquire of God at all. He, he did not inquire of God. He, uh, he did what he wanted. He even had you know, monuments uh, resurrected on, on his own behalf that the people would, in a sense, almost worship him. Whereas David sought God. Uh, he sinned with Bathsheba and some other things, but you know he repented, whereas Saul didn't have any repentance in him. You know? And so he lost the kingship that way. So 22, they asked for a king. He gave him David. This is David after my own heart. Verse 23. And from the offspring of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel Savior Jesus. Now, if you take the lineage, if you go in Luke, it's in Luke and it's in Matthew. If you take the, the lineage of Mary and you go all the way back uh, she goes, her her family is from King David. Joseph, even though he's not Jesus' birth father, uh, his lineage also goes all the way back to David. And so the point here is that any king that God would bring, uh, they call it, he sits on the throne of David or he would come from the lineage of David. So what he's doing is he's making a case here from the Old Testament, uh, showing how Jesus fulfills Old Testament law and Scripture, and that's why I always say that if this side of the room is the Old Testament, it's pointing to the cross, and if this side is the New Testament, it's just the Old Testament being brought through the cross. And so uh, he's making this case in this sermon, uh, verse. 22, and after that he had moved him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. And we know David is a was a shepherd boy. Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd. Verse 23, from the offspring of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel's Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, speaking of John the Baptist, right? So right here, you know, in about six, seven verses, he, he goes through seven, he goes through seven, I mean, he goes through about 1,500 years of, uh, uh, he goes through about 1,500 years of, uh, of uh, Old Testament history. And so John the Baptist preaching baptism of repentance to all the people. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? He says, I am not he, but behold, one who is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Here he's quoting Mark and what's in Luke, although it hasn't been written yet. Um, John the Baptist, because of what he was doing, again, he's pointing to uh, Christ. He says, I'm not the one. Uh, and he points to Christ. So again, what Paul is doing, he's taking the Old Testament and he's taking current events and he's showing how all of this leads to Christ. That's why I say, you know, the Old Testament is, you know, Paul shows us how to use the Old Testament to preach the gospel. You know, because sometimes, you know, people might want to think, oh, well, Jesus just sort of came on the scene, and and why didn't he come earlier, and this and that. And so when you use the Old Testament and the Old Testament scriptures, you can show the types and shadows of Messiah. You can show how God is revealing himself, and God is, is, is pointing towards Messiah, towards the fulfillment of Messiah. So let's see here. Verse 26. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, in other words, Jews, 
descendants of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God. So he's making a point here that in this particular synagogue, because it wasn't in Jerusalem, you had people that were Jewish, but you also had people that had come to the Jewish faith or were following God, and they were in the synagogue. So that's why he makes the distinction there. Among you who fear God, to us the word of this salvation is sent out. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him, capital H, meaning Jesus, or deity, nor the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. In other words, he said every Sabbath you read the scriptures, scriptures pointed to Jesus, and they still condemned him. They didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to, you know. It's just kind of, it's kind of like today. You have a question, Diego? Yeah, so he's basically condemning the Jews for not seeing, for, you know, he's basically blaming the Jews for condemning him. At no point he makes no mention that he was one of those Jews that condemned him as well. Yeah, he, does, he doesn't make a point so there. So kind of yeah. like points a finger at him, even though at no point he says, I was one of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Although in, an, in another point, uh, later in Acts, when he's defending uh, his ministry against Festus, the government, uh, he admits that. Okay. He, he admits, I, I persecute. Good point. Um, so uh, he says, you know, verse 27 again, for those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterance of the prophets, meaning scripture, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. So here he's, you know, in in just a few short sentences, he kind of goes through the little history and and connects Jews. Now, when, a little side note here, when when you're preaching or teaching... One of the things that I like to talk about is the hook. In other words, you have a passage of scripture, whatever it might be, say Matthew uh, chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. The hook is, what are you going to say that brings people into your text? You have to have something to hook them. So what he's doing to these Jews and these people that are in the synagogue, he's using the Old Testament as the hook. You've heard this, this is who you are, it said this and that. So he's getting their attention because he doesn't have to, they're not hearing it for the first time. So they're, they're hearing it, and so it's like a fish. He's, he's hooking them in the mouth, and now he's going to reel them in. So good teaching, preaching, that's to have a hook. You have to have something that brings them into the... Uh, into the passage, whatever it might be. Uh, let's see, where is it? Verse 29. After they executed him and they carried him out, all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Doctrine statement. Okay, he's risen from the dead. Doctrine statement. So in other words, you can't say I'm a Christian if you cannot say Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. You can't. It's just, it's not compatible. And for many days, this is after he was resurrected, and for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, and every one who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news, which means gospel, of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, Today I have begotten thee. And as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has also spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Okay, hold it there. He's resurrected. 
from the dead, doctrine statement, uh, he appeared to them, it's a belief statement, uh, to preach the good news, uh, let's see, and then, uh, thou art my son, you know, fulfillment of the Old Testament, uh, today I have begotten thee, in other words, raised him up, brought him back, uh, therefore he also says in another psalm, thou will not allow thy holy one to undergo decay. This is Psalm 1610. And this is important because Scripture says that Messiah will not undergo decay. Now, leading up to Jesus... What, what Psalm was that? 1610. 1610. <clears throat> Want me to read it? No, no, that's okay. No, because it's, it's there. Um... 1610, it literally says, Thou wilt not allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Because what would happen when you died was that they would put you on the slab, they would anoint you, and they would literally let your flesh and everything rot off your bones and then uh, decay. And then they would come back, however long that was, with an ushery, a bone box, about this big, probably a little, a little bit bigger than your firmer, because that's going to be the longest bone. They would take all, gather up all the bones, put them in the bone box, and then put that into a crevice in a wall. That's the way they buried them. <clears throat> and so that was, the body is going to decay. And so God is saying, I am not going to allow my holy one, I'm not going to allow Messiah to go through that. That's not going to, that is not going to happen. So in other words, there's something supernatural is going to happen. Psalm 16. Something. And so when Jesus comes in his resurrection now they should be making that connection although this is what the scripture means he will not undergo decay uh, let's see verse 36 for David after he had served the purpose of God and by the way David and Moses the most David Moses Abraham extremely revered uh Old Testament Jewish people, David, obviously because he was king. And so now he says, For David, after he served his purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, metaphor for death, and he was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. So even the most revered of the Old Testament people underwent decay. But this Jesus, the one whom I'm preaching to you, the one that John the Baptist came to you uh, saying repent for the kingdom of God is at hand the one that the scriptures are all pointing to he did not undergo decay this therefore is God's anointed this is the Messiah verse 38 therefore let it be known to you brethren that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you doctrine statements doctrine statement forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to us through Jesus Christ. Right? Verse 39, And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things which could not be freed through the law of Moses. Now he goes into the law of Moses and says, you know, even as good as the law was, the law did not grant complete salvation. The law did not uh, just by doing right things uh, does not grant you automatic salvation. Uh, uh, you know, legalism uh, doesn't do that. The law does not do that. What the law is used for is to show us that we've fallen short of the glory of God. It uses us to convict us that we do not measure up to God's standard. Verse 40, Take heed, therefore, so that the thing spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Now he goes in, he's quoting Habakkuk here, chapter 1, verse 5, Behold you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. You know, Habakkuk was talking about, you know, God's going to do something so miraculous, so powerful. Even if I told you exactly what it was, you're not going to fully believe it. You have to see it. That's why it was very important, not just for Jesus to be resurrected, but for people to see it. 
and for him to hang around for uh, uh, another 40 days uh, to 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 uh, um, to teach and people to see him, you know, to to give a, a testimony to that, because all the writers of the New Testament first count uh, of 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 Jesus's life and and death and actions like that. So uh, it's kind of it's kind of like just a rabbit hole. It's kind of like when you read Revelation and it talks about the last days in, in, in war and stuff, you know. They're trying to describe something that they really cannot describe because it is so many thousands of years ahead of them. It's, you know, it's, it's like, even if I told you, I mean, think about it, somebody from, uh, from 2,000 years ago, if you were trying to describe a missile to them, they, they would have no point of reference. How do you describe a missile or a helicopter or a rocket or a jet plane or even even tanks and stuff to someone that, that has no clue of that? You know, it, it, it's, it's futile. Verse 42. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. And now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God now here because the sermon was so good the other thing one of the other things I talk about when you do a sermon it has to be a hook you've got a hook you draw them into there but what are they taking home Whatever he preached to them really grabbed them to the point that they wanted him to say, I, I need to know more. You come back next next week and do this again. Can you can you show me more? Now it's 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 uh, there, there, there's a takeaway there, and uh, so obviously you know they spent the week talking to them and and, uh, and sharing the gospel with them. Um, so, a couple things here. Let me show you something. This outline here, I don't even fully see it, but it's Paul's timeline. We're right here, first missionary journey uh, in Antioch. That's where we're at right now, and next week we'll be in chapter 14. But when he's done with this missionary journey, he's going to write the epistle Galatians. So we're going to take some time and we're going to go through Galatians because Galatians deals with people that came to faith in Jesus Christ by Paul's preaching, but then they wanted to fall back into telling Gentiles, well, you have to become a Jew first, and then receive grace. And he says, no, no, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And so he's writing this letter in relationship to those people that he's preaching to, right now than he's going to be preaching to on this first journey. They came to Christ by faith. It's a doctrine statement. And then Galatians is backing that up because what happened was they had people who were known as Judaizers. And you can't blame them in a sense because they were Jews who came to Christianity and they had the Old Testament and they felt, well, because we had that then someone coming on has got to go through all that too. And so that's where Paul and Peter have a little bit of a discussion, but Paul wins the uh, obviously the argument there, but that's why Galatians is written. And so later on in the second journey and the third journey, we're going to go into Thessalonians and, and these, and I'll show you whether, whether they're all written. So most of them are written uh, after his third missionary journey. A lot of them are written right in here, but they're in response. So as we find out what's going on in these journeys, then it's going to make these things make more sense why he's writing to them. So if you want to read ahead to chapter 14, 15, then also look at Galatians. Prop right in the middle of that, of what's, what's going on. So, uh, thoughts or questions before I go to the next part of that? Because now is the second sermon. So now we're in chapter 44, remember? First missionary journey is over here. 
And when we're done with what we're doing tonight, uh, he's going to take off, and next week we're going to be in Iconium right here on his way back. So he's over here. Chapter 13, chapter 14 is going to take place right here as he goes on his uh, first missionary journey. So, uh, yeah. So that's it. Later on, I'll show, I'll show you the other map before we go, just so you can see how far he goes in his second and third journeys. So verse 44, here's the second sermon. <clears throat> now, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. So he already had his hook established. They, they heard it. They, they wanted to hear more. And by the way, just, just for uh, presentation's sake, there's the hook, there's the book, which is the scripture. So your hook takes them into the book. The took is what do they take home from all this? And then the last thing is the look, the overall presentation. So when I teach, when I teach uh, preaching and, and teaching, hook, book, took, and look. Um, and the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Uh, so now the Jews who kind of put up with it, you know, some of them kind of came to, came to faith the first week, but now the second week, those that, were, that are holding out, you know, they're jealous, they're upset, they're, uh, uh, they're uh, contradicting Paul. And Paul and Barnabas, um, and by the way, here's the important part. In, this is from the book of Steve that I believe the, one of the reasons that God chose Paul is because Paul was so well-versed in the Old Testament. You couldn't go around him. You couldn't go underneath him. You couldn't, you couldn't, you know, I mean, he knew it backwards and forwards. So those Jews that, that were, were, were countering what he was doing and those believers that were Jews that were coming to Christianity, he knew how to bring them through the cross. So, so yeah, I think he's an excellent choice, obviously. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Verse 45, began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. Now, you see, now they got really boldly. Last time they were kind of teaching probably in a, in a little softer, more direct way. But now that they're being confronted, now they're speaking out boldly against what, what is going on. Because we realize you're preaching this in somebody else's house. They're, you're in someone else's area, their domain, and, you know, so they're preaching boldly. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to preach, because whenever we're doing the gospel, 99.9% .9 of the time, unless we're doing it in church, we're doing it in somebody else's stronghold, their, their home, their, their area. Uh, Paul, in verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and the judge and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Boom. Major turning point here, theological shift that we knew was coming from Peter's teaching that, that Diego did a couple of weeks ago on 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 uh, when, when when Peter was called to Cornelius' house and he has the vision of the unclean food and God saying, you know, and he says, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, what I proclaim clean, eat and partake. And all of a sudden he realizes that God is now going to go to the Gentiles who were looked upon as unclean. And so, <clears throat> but now what you actually have is, according to scripture, they had to go to the Jews first. They did that. But now Paul is saying, and I think we, we get a little bit of Paul's nature here. It's like, okay, I, I got stuff to do. I got people to preach to. I'm, I'm done with you guys. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do circles. You don't, you don't want to get it. That's fine. I'm moving on. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Uh, verse six, 46 again. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it's necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, meaning the Jews, 
since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For thus the Lord has commanded us. So right there is not something that was their idea. They realize that this is what God is doing. This is God's plan. Because again, according to scriptures, to the Jews, Jesus said, to the Jews first, then the Gentiles. Uh, then he quotes Isaiah 42, verse 6. Isaiah 42, verse 6. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles. Now this is Isaiah. This is written, Isaiah is written about 700 years before Jesus. And so Paul is now relating this. I have placed you... How, how long before Jesus? Huh? How, many, how much time before Jesus? Uh, about 700 years. Might be 760. I'm taking notes, that's right. Oh, okay, good. Digital. Let it be known Diego's taking notes. It says, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. Because remember, what did Jesus say? Acts 1.8 to Judea, Samaria, you know, and to all the ends of the earth. You know, so he's just, he's just, you know, adding all this up and he's, he's got his scriptural reference. You know, you have to have a biblical antecedent, something God has said that directs you that way. And so now he's saying, God has commanded this. He says, I placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. Because remember, going up in here, he's going up in the lower part of uh, Europe. This is Turkey and in Greece, present-day Turkey and Greece, and you know they're going to be going up farther um, over towards towards Rome. But uh, this isn't a Jewish world. There's Jews here, but it's a Gentile world, and so it's a completely different world than he knew down here in Israel and Judea, where he spent his life down in here. Completely different world up here. So now he says, "I'm, I'm going." I'm going there. This is this is Paul the Evangelist. 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. When the Gentiles heard this, they were rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Think about it for a second. If you're on the outside looking in, you heard about this Jesus, you saw his teaching, what's going on, uh, you know, you heard of these miracles, you heard of different things, then you realize he goes on the cross, he dies, he's resurrected, uh, he's seen, he's teaching, uh, he, he ascends, he tells the church to go, and you're a Gentile, you're on the outside of this, and you're probably, you know, at some point making some connections saying, this really sounds like God to me, but I'm not part of it. And they want to be a part of it, because what do you have you, you have Gentiles in the synagogue who are trying to get close to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Old Testament. And so now all of a sudden Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to the Gentiles. It's like, wow, God's now opened this up for us. Now, now we're not, we're not refer, going to be referred to as dogs anymore or unclean. You know, we are, our, our salvation has been brought to us. 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of God, as many as been appointed to eternal life and believed. And yeah, do. Uh, how come it reverse as many as had been appointed? Mm-hmm. As appointed. What does appointed mean? So chosen, know. right? Kind of like, I guess, predestined? Is that what it's implying? Or? Somewhat, yeah. As you, as, you, as you break it down, it's not like... Uh, exclusive. It means more like the idea that those who 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 have heard and believed, it it, it has the element of chosen in it. When you break it out from the from the Greek, but it's it's also has a connotation that God knows who's going to be saved. Okay. So yeah, um, forty nine. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. So because. They left here. Now the word of God is being spread over here. And now you've got two solid teachers uh, preaching the word of God and beginning to establish home churches and stuff up in this uh, in this region on Paul's first missionary journey. 
Let's see. Uh, verse 50, But the Jews aroused the devout women of prominence and leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So the Jews that were there that had influential people uh, around there said, hey, can you help us get these two characters out of here? You know, they're, you know, and so they were able to get help and they actually drove them out of the city. But that doesn't stop a move of God. You can't, you cannot stop a move of God. Just because you, 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 you push some people out, there's people that have already believed. You know, and then uh, that's why others will now come, will be sent, other disciples and, 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 and uh, apostles will be sent over there to preach the word of God. Because as they leave, then you're going to need other teachers to go in and fill that that void. And again, that's why the epistles were written. Sometimes problems would arise. Uh, so, verse 51. But they shook off the dust off their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. This is why I said we're going to be next week. When you shake off the dust off your feet, it means, okay, I've had enough of you too. And then we're going over here. Jewish custom. It's just like when your heart was broken or you were going to be separated from someone, whether it was good or bad, you would tear your 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 your, your garment. It means, you know, my heart is torn kind of thing. Kicking the dust off your shoes is, I don't even want to take the dirt from your city with me. I'm leaving everything with this part of you here. I don't I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Not to the believers, but to the the Jews that were giving them problems. So it was basically it was an insult, you know, to them. Uh, and then fifty two, and the disciples were continually filled with the joy with joy and the Holy Spirit. The disciples meaning those that were now gonna be following the teachings of uh, Christianity in this particular uh, area. Any thoughts or questions for a go anywhere else with this? So again, this is first missionary journey. Gone to a couple cities. Uh, shook them up. But the main thing to remember about Paul's first missionary journey is after his third stop, because he stops over here in Cyprus, then here, and then he goes over here. Now he's, his ministry is going to be to Gentiles. It doesn't mean he's not going to uh, help Jews get saved, but he realizes he's going to be going up in here later on because, as we can see here, this is Paul's second missionary journey. His first one was right here, but look at the second one. He takes off up here. He goes to Tarsus, he goes back to Iconium, he goes back to Antioch, he goes way up in here, he goes over here, Thessalonica, Philippi, uh, the, the Brians were over here, uh, Corinth was over here. Okay. So who, who, who was in charge of, well, if, if Paul decides to go with the Gentiles mostly, who, I guess, picks up the mantle and preaching to the Jews? Or is that just... Peter, Peter, and the rest of them. And James is down here uh, in the church in Jerusalem. Oh. So his responsibility is there. But after 70 AD, which is after the book of Acts, uh, Jews are going to be dispersed out of this because Rome comes in, destroys the temple, and kicks Jews and, and everybody out. And that starts a, a big problem. But it just helps push Christianity up. So you can just see now in the second missionary journey, which we're going to get to, in Acts chapter 15 to Acts chapter 18, uh, now all of a sudden Christianity is being expanded out more. He's hitting more places. Uh, and notice, last time, you know, he went by sea over to here and over here. This time he's doing a, he's hoofing it, he's walking. Let's say, did they ride much at all? Did he have a donkey, or did he have anything? The only ones who rode donkeys were, were kings and princes. Wow. But horses were military. So if you had a caravan, and you had enough money, you had a first-class ticket, 
you could, you could ride on a camel or a. Uh, uh, but, but, but by the way, uh, caravan owners were wealthy people because they were, they were commerce and they were taking people from place to place and charging them to go. So they were just basically walking? They were basically walking. That's why it always talks about a Sabbath day's walk. It was a Sabbath day's walk from here. A Sabbath day's walk is they figure a young or relatively healthy person could walk 20 miles in a day, if they, especially then because everybody was walking. They were used to it. So a Sabbath day's walk is 20 miles. So think about how long... Sabbath day walk, you said? Yeah. In other words, you could say walk. Because you, to, 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 to Paul's point, you weren't even on, a, on the Sabbath, you weren't even supposed to ride if you could. Mm. You had to walk. That's why if you go, especially you can see it, wherever you have a Jewish temple... Uh, uh, there's one over in uh, we have one in uh, Long Rada, but there's one in there's uh, one in Downey well, there's one in Downey but there's one in uh, Cyprus Los Alamitos it's in a, it's an industrial area there and on, one, and on Friday nights uh, right before sundown you can see some Hasidic Jews with the black coats and the walking, and the walking to temple, they have to get there before the sun goes down. Mm-hmm. Because when the sun goes down, then that starts the, the, the day. But the, they they won't take a car. They won't prepare a meal. Your meals have to be prepared the day before because that's considered work. Because the scripture says you shall do no work on the Sabbath. So they take it literally, no work. You know, uh, so. This is the second missionary journey, so he's, he's going out, and so we're going to be reading, you know, Thessalonians and Corinthians when they're written in there. Uh, well, not Corinthians, Corinthians comes later. But then Paul's third missionary journey, now look at he's leaving from Antioch, he does the same thing, he goes back, he revisits those churches, he's going, going up over here, and he's coming here, and then he's circling back, and coming back, you know, and you're going to read this in Acts 19 to 21. All of that in Acts 19 to 21. But that's Paul's journey to Rome. That's uh, when he's in on trial. But Paul's second missionary journey, that's when he writes First and Second Thessalonians. His third missionary journey was three years he writes First and Second Corinthians and Romans. Okay, mm. and under here it talks about his uh, arrest and different things. But then when he's under house arrest, when he goes to uh, Rome, it's when he writes. It's known as the uh, prison epistles: uh, Ephesus, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, First, First Timothy, Titus, and Second, Second Timothy. So you can kind of see now you begin to get kind of a visual picture of when these things were written. And so now when we go and we begin to explain these things, you're going to see, okay, that's what they were dealing with when Paul went over there. That's why the letter had to be written. So if you just read the letter themselves, it's okay. But now that you know the journey and what he was doing and why he was going and now he's coming back and, you know, he goes to one church and, and something's going on and, and all of a sudden he gets a report, oh, something's wrong and... and Corinthians, he's got to go back, or he's got to write a letter, he's got to make a choice what he's going to do. That's why he says in some of his letters, you know, I long to return to you, but I'm sending you this before I return. Sometimes he got to go back, sometimes he never made it back. And uh, so we're going to be referring to these these maps, uh, just as a visual thing. And this is just Paul's last journey, uh, which is Acts 27 and 28 where Acts ends where he's on his way to Rome to plead his case before Caesar and that's where he ends up uh, he ends up dying there in Rome so here's a, a kind of a broader picture you see Turkey and Greece and now here's Italy the bottom part of uh, Europe over there in Spain and England and all that over there and uh, so the world of Christianity in the book of Acts is all Right in here, and a little bit up in here, 
Uh, sometimes people say, well, what was going on over in here? Alexandria became a school of learning, and uh, it was one of the first major Christian theological centers. Alexandria was a big, big, uh, very big in the first century. So, but anyway, that's kind of bad. Thoughts, questions? We're good. So, uh, again, if you have any questions or you think of something, we'd do it. But uh, rather than just doing the whole narrative of Acts, I'm going to stop. And I don't know yet if I'm going to do in-depth study in the Galatians or just kind of hit some points and come back to Galatians later. Maybe I'll leave it up to you guys if you want to stop and do the whole Galatians and then move on or how you want to do it. I'll, I'll leave it up to you. We'll talk about that maybe next week. So next week we'll be in Iconium, chapter 14, and then maybe we'll touch a little bit of uh, uh, chapter 15. And then the week after that is when we'll probably get into uh, the letter to the Galatians, why it was written and all that. So just a note, if you're listening on a uh, uh, podcast, uh, remember that we are open for um, service on Sunday morning and also on Wednesdays. If you feel healthy enough and want to do that, we are open. Sanctuary is open. So we have our regular Sunday service. We also have a regular Bible study. And also men's ministry will be starting back up live in person. Men, you can come September 17th. We will be uh, uh, going back to men's ministry. We'll be here in the uh, uh, in the study room. So we'll be hearing more about that. But check our webpage uh, and you get all the information there. All those things are coming up. So praise God. Let me close with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you again for the study and this time. We thank you, Lord, that you opened our eyes to see what we hadn't seen before, opened our ears to hear what we never heard before, but opened our heart, Lord, most importantly, to receive what it is that we need to receive from you. So, Father, we just thank you and uh, bless us, Lord. Watch over us. Keep us safe, Lord, strong. And, uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, your word that keeps us thriving, keeps us open as a church, Lord, that we... uh, bow our knee only to you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Thank you guys.